Hello, and welcome to another edition of Off Camera. I'm your host, Sam Jones, and in this episode, I sit down with actor Jason Sudeikis. As a high school sophomore, Jason Sudeikis switched schools in pursuit of serious basketball dreams, and of course, a girl. Instead, he discovered classes in radio and TV and debate, and a new career option. Soon after swapping Final Four tickets for a video camera, he gave up on college hoops and eventually college itself to go pro in the improv leagues. He honed his chops at comedy sports, the annoyance, and improv Olympics before getting drafted by Second City and eventually Saturday Night Live, where some of his most memorable work occurred behind the scenes, writing skits for Justin Timberlake, Amy Poehler, and Buddy Will Forte. Along the way, he happily stole, a term he prefers to borrow, from lifelong mentors to develop his own comedic DNA. Just watch him in We're the Millers and guess who he's channeling. In this episode, Sudeikis discusses his improv roots, his development as an actor and writer, his early love-hate relationship with Saturday Night Live, the art of guest host management, and of course, hoops. To this day, he's a flashy, joke-cracking point guard who never lets you see how hard he's working. So pull up a chair and listen in. Hi, Jason. Hello, Sam. How are you? Not bad. Not bad. Thank you for coming and doing this with me. Thank you for asking me. Well, I uh, asked you a long time ago. You did? Yeah. Yeah. And here you are. So... You had to get to a bunch of real interesting people first. Well, your publicist said you have a one-year lead time on any Everything. request. Yes, yeah. all long lead press. I do. There's long lead press. I do real long lead press. Yes, you do. Yeah. Yes, you do. You you even do you set up press for movies you don't know you're making yet. Not even. Yeah, things that, things that barely that are just in development. Yes. Yeah. It's the it's the easiest way to get them greenlit. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, you and I uh, we've. We've gotten to know each other over the last year and mm-hmm. worked together a couple times, and uh, we've played basketball together a few times. Mm-hmm. And you are a very good basketball player. It's um, very nice of you. You, I noticed that, at least in our league, you can get to the hoop whenever you want. Whenever you choose to, you seem to be able to drive to the hoop, and uh, you know you have a lot of options left when you get there. You're a great passer. That's, this is I love this. This is my favorite interview ever. You. Uh, <laughs> You never met a three-point shot you didn't take? No. I, no. I, will, I, will, uh, I will shoot from 27 feet because no one guards you out there. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> no, and, and, you know, you crack jokes while you play, and, I, and uh, it's, you know, it's impressive. No, thanks. So I wanted to start off, um, w- you know, when did, when did your NBA dream sort of die? When did you kind of know that? Gosh, that's a good question. You weren't going to, that wasn't going to be the, the deal. Early, early. Mostly, Miss Gillis was very uh, was our English teacher, real real tough English teacher that we had at Holy Cross Catholic School, and and I believe she told my parents that in a parent teacher conference that I was a part of because I wasn't do I I'd never been good at doing homework, and uh, and you know grade school is no different, and um, and she was like you you know you're you never get up. I think she had like a Boston accent. She had an accent. She was probably about about four ten, uh, and and um, large head for her body. And was and was mean, but really good. Knowing what I know now, you know, uh, but mean and and, uh, and strict. And she was like, you know, you're not going to play in the NBA. And I was like, no. and I knew she was right, but I didn't want to argue it because I was like, my mom's five three, my dad's six four, but you know, and how I didn't old were think you it was going to happen. Point? So I was like, yeah, like probably thirteen, fourteen, so yeah. probably around there. I did, yeah, it was all, for me at that point. It was all 
I think anything that I've got, got to do was all about like some tiny goal. So at that point, it was just about being able to play in college. Like, you know, like uh, not knowing what I wanted to do when I got to college, uh, and I didn't once I got there, but, but I just wanted to play, you know, in college, you know. And all my, a lot of my friends, you know, all my, the majority of my friends were all through my basketball team. You know, and, and you were school. serious about it, right? Like you, I was serious. Yeah, that was you my drilled, and you. That, oh, you God, yeah. I mean, I watched all the Pete Maravich, you know, instructional videos, homework basketball that my dad got me at a very young age. Uh, I think I pulled the ad out of the Street and Smith basketball magazine that I would get every year at the beginning of the season, and uh, and he loved Pete Maravich when he was growing up, uh, and so yeah, he made that. Uh, he bought those for me. Four tapes: one on shooting, passing, ball handling, and dribbling. Yeah. Separate. Ball handling and dribbling, separate. Ball handling was, were, was all like the weird tricks that you learned to get comfortable with the ball and, and ultimately like sort of helped you build confidence. It was really, it was, it was great though. And, I, and it's the one sport or one of the best sports for, that you can practice by yourself and then still have to apply to, a, you know, the team. You can, you can improve yourself uh, as much as you can, you know, in the front yard yeah. and then, and, or in the garage as I would do a lot uh, dribbling wise and then, and then take those skills and apply them, you know, and hopefully help your team. Yeah. Well, you can tell, you know, when you play with guys my age, and I say my age, although yeah. you're yeah. a lot younger than me, but you can tell someone who's played because, in your case, you're a lefty, yeah. and you go right a lot. <laughs> yeah. And when someone can go the opposite hand and still dribble, it is, like, a, it is a oh, tell. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I had to figure that out at some point. Yeah, they started pushing me to my right, like in like sixth grade. I was like, "Are you kidding?" Like CYO, like who guards it? Like because you're, you're a pure lefty, right? You do oh, everything full left. left. Well, I mean, I golf when I do golf or bat righty for some reason. I don't know oh, why. Really? Yeah, so I'm just like all backhand with that, which is why I'm probably not very good at golf or baseball. Um, and but yeah, but mostly, but left eye, left foot, left ear, you know, everything else is right is very much you know right. Yeah, for sure. Were you a confident kid? In school? Not with school work necessarily. I would say confident. Gosh. I, I mean. I guess I'm asking, did you, did you kind of float through with this sort of ease that you have now and, and as an athlete, or, or did you have anything to overcome in those years? Uh, uh, I, felt, I mean, I felt like I certainly did. Uh, I, I would say, you know, I can't help but answer that question almost from like a, you know, from a, stepping outside of myself and I would say that there would be uh, and we've spoken about this before like uh, a perception of maybe having confidence but like any teenager or anybody you know having a having a girlfriend and falling in love for the first time and I mean I transferred schools you know after sophomore year it was huge it changed my life because I I, from that point I got to get into this radio and tv class and the speech and debate class with this amazing teacher uh, Sally Shipley they would do these weekly tv shows and you know this is the first time I got to sit with like an editing machine it was all VHS and everything but time code and figuring it all out and I I just love I I just love that stuff and um, uh, and she was just like you should do stuff like this and she was just very very helpful. So I would say the ease that I had was because I, I, I was lucky enough to have interests, and then you find people with similar interests. But I, you know, I, I, I sucked at, <laughs> I had bad grades, I drove people crazy, I got in trouble a lot for talking. I didn't drink or smoke or do drugs or anything like that. Um, but I was, uh, but I remember feeling like alone, like a lot of times, especially after like the girlfriend and I like, you know, broke up after junior year. Sure. And then I was like, oh, then you know. I mean, it's Romeo and Juliet, you know, like, uh, uh, and I, you know, I have friends that will say that I, th- you know, my friend Brendan, who coached basketball and teaches now, uh, was like, I think we would have probably could have won the state championship had you not dated that girl. <laughs> like, like, what, geez, man. Uh, what like, was her know, name? Her name was Allison. 
Allison still is, yeah. So Allison, Allison tanked Allison, yeah. the. Uh, yeah, I don't know if she had if she had connections with some of the guys from Wichita South. I don't want to say that she like it was you know like all, you know all the president's men. I don't know if if it, if it was a conspiracy, but yeah, maybe maybe she tanked it. You're saying there's a possibility. She tanked my NBA career. Okay. It was her and Mrs. Gillis. <laughs> the, the two of them. So was that was that radio and TV class in high school? Was that did that give you a spark of, oh, that's something I want to do, or was that just like the seed that? It was already it was already there. I mean, you know, when you when you can't help, I think, as a human being, it, I've been really, really lucky, and uh, certainly I've worked hard, but I've tried to hide that hard, that hard work. Uh, <laughs> you know, like 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 any uh, you know, you know, I didn't want people to see me working on like all the ball handling. They, I just wanted them to see me make the pass and be like, "How'd you learn to do that?" You know, and them not know. I would say that it was basketball first, but looking back in the rearview mirror, everything that I had done up to this point was leading me to. A, a career in, uh, or at least a desire to have a career in acting, in performing, in the arts. Like, because I was, I mean, I was a flashy, like, point guard. I, if there was a behind-the-back pass that, that could maybe be made or a chess pass that should definitely be made, I would go behind the back. You right. know, like, I mean, you know, you don't really see it when we play because we just don't fill the lanes that much as, you know, 40-year-old men. <laughs> well, <laughs> there, was, there was one where There's a few. I got it right in the face because that, that, that's, yeah, that I had no idea it was coming. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. That, the, and that's, you Me know, and nobody else on the court. Exactly, yeah. No, absolutely not. Which yeah. is the best kind of no-look pass. Oh, it's horrid, yeah. It's, when the guy you're passing to is not yeah, looking. Yeah, he has no-look. He's not looking either. <laughs> that's the real no-look. Uh, but I, I, you know, that and... I would say it was basketball first was the was the first bliss that I followed and and the camaraderie that that brought and then it was it was buying a video camera. My dad bought me a video camera in sixth grade, uh, in lieu of me going using the ticket that he had for me to go to the Final Four in 1988, uh, when KU played. Uh, they actually won the whole thing, but they played uh, Oklahoma, who was the heavy favorite. KU, where I'm from, Kansas. Uh, Ended up winning 83-79, and I got a video camera out of it that was, I'll buy you that video camera, and my pitch for him was like, I'll be able to use the camera when me and mom and uh, my cousin Aaron and our grandfather, Bumpa, my mom's dad, we're, we're going to go to Europe for like uh, a two-week trip, and I'll be able to take video of everything. All I wanted to do, though, was make videos in the basement, you know, like, and, and you know, put it on a skateboard and do what I now know are tracking <laughs> shots. You know, I didn't, you know, you just want to make stuff, and, uh, and uh, and he he gave it to me. I would say that was the the beginning, like six, sixth grade, getting that video camera. Because all my friends would have like the big, not all my friends, but a few friends where I'd have sleepovers, had like a Betamax, you know, like a little sure. tiny camera. And I, and I just always was like, when they had sleepovers, like let's do a music video, like let's set it up, you know, and 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 you know, lip sync to well, just like Paradise by David Lee Roth. <laughs> <laughs> and try and like you know put a you know fake guitar on and try to strap and do that thing that Steve Vai used to do exactly. when he used to spin the whole thing. Well, apparently yeah. we had the same childhood. Exact same childhood. I, yeah. I mean, I would do a fake you yeah. know like Letterman show. Yes. Oh, I did that too. Yeah, I definitely had talk. And you know, with my... the bits, the yeah, little. Yeah. I mean, that's what you want to do as a Absolutely. kid. Absolutely. No, it was great. But that's interesting that that you know getting that camera because yeah, if you're the kid that doesn't have it. Then you end up making friends with a kid who does. Yeah, you find a way. Yeah, yeah, and, now, I, and that's what it, that. And so I would say it was that. And then the radio and TV class just happened to coincide with that. You know, because before that I found improv as a, like improv. Um, well, I wanted to yeah. ask you about that because you had a huge career in improv, and I mean, yeah, if there's such a thing, but yeah, I was I mean, really lucky. You, had, yeah. you have a doctorate. Yeah, in, yeah, in improv yeah, to a right? degree. Yeah. How did that start? Because you know, you say that the camaraderie of basketball, you had a team, right? And that's. Sort of similar with improv, right? It's, you Absolutely. have a troop. And oh, yeah. How did you doubt. find that? There was this thing called comedy sports, which 
was basically whose lines in anyway, except on stage, like live. And so I think like homecoming, either freshman year, I believe, you know, people went to that. You know, it was before like, you know, dates or anything. I, I, I wasn't seeing anybody. I was kind of, you know, quiet and shy about that stuff and just wanted to play basketball. And uh, went to go see it and just fell in love with it. You know, getting suggestions from the audience and then the making up on the spot. And I was just like, oh, wow. Like, th- I didn't know we had something like this here. I eventually signed up for workshops uh, after I left that school uh, over the summer, like just like a six-week workshop. You know, you pay like 200 bucks and I uh, was taught by one of the guys that did it, and uh, I just had a knack for it. And it was, it was just from making these videos. And I've always been so lucky to be surrounded by funny people, like my, my own family, but then my friends growing up, Terry Maher, Ryan Landry, like Brett Becker, who I used to make videos with, like just the funniest guys. Like I've watched videos that I made back then, and they blow me out of the water. Like, I mean, I'm just like, any, any like proclivity or, or uh, like instinct I have to be a straight man is from being friends with these guys and just letting them go and just sort of like setting them up. Like they're just so clever, such clever young men. Like their brains just were just rapid fire. And, and I just... Uh, would just laugh a lot and trying to make them laugh, and you just sort of like iron sharpening iron. I, yeah, just really got really, really lucky that way. I truly believe that in the back of my head they exist and trying to make them laugh or the version of them that they are in my head. And I'm still friendly with all of them. I still see them whenever I go back to Kansas, uh, Ryan and Terry specifically. Like if, if I'm doing something that, I'm, that, is made, that would make them laugh, then I feel like I'm being, uh, you know, my... That's your purist. standard. Yeah, to but, a degree, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, I've acquired people along the way, certainly, you know, McNapier in Chicago, Lauren Michaels, Will Forte, you know, Kristen Wiig, you know, Olivia, my sisters. I've acquired all, you know, I have a Greek chorus in my head that, that I sort of respond to, um, myself being, you know, a version of myself being in there as sure, well. Sure, sure. But, yeah. What, you know, when you said you were drawn to improv, what, like, what skills, like, what do you need to be good at improv? Listening. I mean, I, I, you know, People, we're all sort of born like differently, or, or you know, we're shaped differently, you know, through our the nurture and the, and the nature that we're given. But at the end of the day, the one thing that you have to have is the ability to listen, because because there's nothing, you're, you can't make anything off of what the other person's saying, your partner, you know, your teammate, whatever, unless you hear what they're saying, you know, and and, and it doesn't just mean hearing with, uh, it's almost not just listening with your ears, but with your eyes too, because you could say, you know. I mean, what's an example? You know, no. You know, what am sure. I really saying? You know, it's like, sure. so, so you gotta, you know, listen to all that stuff too. And Del Close, who was, you know, uh, the improv, you know, sort of the, the father of it, the forefather, what they say, yeah, um, who I had for one, like, le- level in, in Chicago at a place called Improv Olympic, now known as IO. Uh, it was like he was. He would just always talk about having big ears. Like he always used, you know, jazz metaphors. You know, he's like, you want, you want to have big ears. You want to be like right. the drummer that just can, that can hear when the change happens and then go with it. Because then you still have to lead it. You know, there's just all these philosophies about following the follower uh, in improvisation that matched up perfectly with basketball. You know, like it just matched up. Like for me, my, the metaphor, the the mayhem, the madness that is an, an ethereal art form, an invisible art form, where you're making things up on the spot. It helped having these sort of tenants that I knew from, you know, a sport, again, that you could work on as an individual. I could read all about improvisation. I could, you know, increase my reference level and, and take in all this information, work on stuff alone. But at the end of the day, how I interact and how I vibe with you in this scene and how we pass the ball back and forth. And when you're hot, feed you. And when I'm hot, know when I got to take it. It was all mapped from my right. all these years playing basketball. And I just sort of, so I could make sense of it for myself, you know, 
through well, that. And I would think you'd have to have confidence, too, because you can't, you can't second-guess a moment like that, whether, no. you, whether it's basketball or improv. Like, yeah. if you start trying to think about, like, if it doesn't come right from your gut and right out, then yeah. it, you're lost, They would right? say get in your head. Yeah, that was the big term that they would use at the Annoyance. We, the, that's another theater. The three big theaters, I think still there are, Second City is the big one. It's mm-hmm. the, you know, uh, then I.O. and then the Annoyance. And each one was sort of splintered off of the other based on a different philosophy of the, of, of the work that is improvisation. Their whole t- philosophy was like, we need to get out of your head. Get out of your head. You know, so they had teachers that would encourage you to, you know, wear different shoes to class than you wear in your normal life. Like just, you know, so you're thinking about your feet, so you're out of your head, you know. It's like right. all those like, you know, and it's things that people do probably in acting classes. I think that's the majority of it is like how to get out of your own way. I mean, it's a good it's good stuff for life too because sure. I don't know sure. if you'll, you'll ever allow yourself to be loved or love as much as you can if you're in your head the whole time. You got to yeah, you got to get down in that hard space and you have to sort of, you know, learn to learn to trust it. And that's and so it's it's perceived as confidence. Uh but, you know, I think just through the repetition of, of making an, up enough stuff that didn't exist before we made it up sort of gives you confidence through a certain competence. And was there a time when you sort of said, I mean, obviously you're doing it, you're having fun, but did it dawn on you one day, like, oh, I can do this for a living? Like, or did you see it as a stepping stone to other things? Or I, like, at what point did it become real to you that, like, I'm going to have a career at this? I would say... Moving to Chicago was the decision to want to uh, be an actor, but at that point it was just to do Second City. I just loved that place. Still do. Love sketch comedy. Uh, it's probably my favorite medium of, of comedy. Um, and I just loved it. We would go there all the time, and by the time I was old enough to ask my parents and, or you know, drive myself, I would, I would go down you know, when we were back home in Chicago. and, and I don't know if you've ever been there, but, you know, you walk in, 1616 North Wells, it's the same stage that, you know, Farley was on, Belushi, Tina, you know, Bill Murray, you know, Heroes of Mind, Scott Adsit, Kevin Dorff, you know, guys that, that, that not enough people know uh, uh, but uh, aren't brilliant. And, uh, and you, all the pictures are everywhere. And so that, and then it was getting to see Tracy Letts uh, do a play called Three Days of Rain by Richard Greenberg that I was suggested to go see um, uh, by... Um, McNapier, who's like this guru, and, and it blew me away. And I was like, I was like, oh God, I don't just want to be a comedian. Like, I don't. I want to do all. This. I want to try to do all this stuff. I want to like act. Um, I didn't know I wanted to be an actor until I sort of saw that. But that was all within like the first year of moving to Chicago. And amazing, you know. And Mammoth's from there. You know, the Organic Theater Company and the Goodman Theater. And it's just like it's an incredible city, and it's very affordable. You know, and coming from there, and I had my uncle's. My uncle George's car. I stayed at my. I lived in my grandmother's for the first couple of years, so it was. Re, it was like it was graduate school. I, I stopped going to college. I stopped playing basketball after sophomore year. And so you got serious. Uh, yeah, I got serious, but I didn't know I was being serious because it, I'm doing that Joseph Campbell thing of literally following my bliss. Like if you never, if you love what you do, you never work a day in your life, right? Like, I, I I'm living, breathing example of that. Hey folks, let's take a little break from the conversation so I can tell you about this week's sponsor, Shady Rays. You know, we all wear sunglasses and we've all bought so many pairs of sunglasses over the years and we've lost them or broken them or they've gotten scratched or whatever. But for me, I hate paying so much money for sunglasses. And then I found out about Shady Rays. Shady Rays is an independent sunglasses company. They're not some big corporation that overcharges for sunglasses. 
In fact, they're here to change the whole way we think about sunglasses with high quality shades at a much lower price. The crazy thing about Shady Rays is their warranty. It's one of the best warranties in all of eyewear. They'll replace your sunglasses if they're lost or broken for any reason. It doesn't matter what happens, whether you drop them in the ocean or sit on them or run over them with your skateboard or whatever, they'll replace them. And even with that strong of a warranty, they still manage to make quality that I can tell you, holding in my hand, seems just as good as any expensive pair I've ever worn. They have polarized lenses that look perfectly clear, and most Shady Rays are only $48. They also provide 10 meals to fight hunger in America with every order placed, and they've provided over 10 million meals to date. And, you know, I have four or five pairs. They come in all the classic styles. They're durable, they're lightweight, they're great, and they stand behind their product. And they told off-camera that if anyone has a problem, they throw profit out the window and they do what it takes to get it right. And they have free returns and exchanges. You either love the shades or Shady Rays will pay to ship them back. That's it. And exclusively for off-camera listeners, they give us the best deal they have to offer. This is a Black Friday-level deal. You can use the code CAMERA for 50% off two or more pairs at ShadyRays.com. You buy one, you get one free. That means basically you can get two pairs of sunglasses for $48. Once again, you go to ShadyRays.com, use the code CAMERA for 50% off two or more pairs. These can be redeemed only at ShadyRays.com, where you can find all their newest and best shades. Take a minute, check out ShadyRays.com. I'm sure you're going to like them. I love them. And, uh... Let me know what you think. Send me an email, sam at offcamera.com. All right, now back to the show. At some point, you you get this Saturday Night Live opportunity to be a writer. Yeah. Now, how does that happen? Um, does, like, how does, because I don't understand how the, the line happens between performer and writer and how people start. And yeah. How, how, did, how did you get involved with Saturday Night Live? Yeah, I, um... I auditioned for the show in August of 2003. At that point, I was living in Las Vegas, working at Second City. Um, they had to open up a theater there. Again, just like grade school, a ground, I got to be on the ground floor of, of something uh, and help create it and shape it. Uh, we had uh, you know, amazing people, people that were my contemporaries, people I looked up to, all of us you know, trying to figure out how to make this social, political, satirical theater based in improvisation and sketch comedy, work in this town, which is like a crazy, you know, it's like uh, a living graveyard in, in a lot of ways. And, uh, and you know, two things happened. Uh, Jeff Richman, who was one of my heroes and a mentor of mine and eventually a friend, uh, who, uh, who was a director at Second City and a musical director, um, who also was married to Tina, had been, you know, uh, married to Tina Fey, came and saw uh, our show and, and, you know, did a little... Uh, basically like a week's worth of rehearsal, like three rehearsals with us, and added 20% more laughs. Like he's like one of those like just really gifted guys, can hear the music of a scene, you know, if there's no music. And he, he asked me, he asked me like, well, did you ever audition for SNL? And at that point, I mean, I, I was adamant no. I was like, I don't want to, I don't want to. Now why would, why would you say no to because that? Because I I mean, think, isn't that the, the sort of uh, holy grail of sketch comedy? To a degree, but it's also, but also when you come from the Chicago experience, it's about the process. You know, like, like SNL is, is a product base and, and show business in Hollywood. That's, like, like that's, that, that's nothing that we're, we're, we work for or work towards or speak on uh, in the, in, within the Chicago improv community. Like, you don't do impressions. There's no impression class, you know. Like, you're trying to make impressions, but you're not trying to do impressions, right? right? And, and so 
you know, any knack that I had for that, which isn't as gifted as someone like, you know, Bill Hader or, or Daryl Hammond or Jay Farrell, it was just from mimicking, you know, friends, you know, mimicking coaches and, and sure. you know, that, so I have that. But you, I fucking hated SNL. Like, you have to hate SNL during, at some point during your, your, your comedy journey because it's McDonald's. It's, you're it's, like the Broadway actor who's, like, not going to go be in a film. Y- yes, yeah, exactly. Yeah, Broadway actor. stage you're actor. On, yeah, you're, yeah. On the, you're on the yeah, stage. Yeah, I you're mean, Lawrence Olivier. I- indeed, yeah, yeah. And they're and, asking you to go do uh, Fletch or something. Right, exactly, yeah. yeah. And, I, I, and, and I was adamant about it. And I had, I had my, my strong philosophies about it that were, you know, all you know, fueled by 23-year-old, you know, self-righteous arrogance. But I, but I stand by them because, uh, you know, but I was like, I, I wouldn't take that. I remember uh, 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 before signing with the manager I was with, uh, um, Second City wanted to get into the management business, uh, and they were, like, sort of paired with William Morris. And, and, and a, a few of them came out to see our show in, in Las Vegas. And we had a really great, we had a great crew out there and uh, really talented, both behind the camera and, and, and in front, um, you know, for either jobs. And we, uh, and she asked, and I had my head shaved at this point because I wanted to be in Blue Man Group. Like, I, like shaved, like, with a, you really? know, one guard. Yeah, 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 I wanted to be in Blue Man Group. I did not want to do sketch comedy more. I didn't want to do Second City. I was not enamored with the way we were, we were conducting our business in Las Vegas. I thought we were, we weren't, we weren't doing good work. I would see, go see the Blue Man show, much more complicated show, but just laser focus and the way they ran their company, I was just completely blown away by and, and made, you know, really great friends uh, during that. Because we were like these new odd shows that were showing up on the strip that weren't, you know, right. you know uh, lounge singers or topless acts. We were like these sort of audience-focused shows. Uh, Blue Man, ourselves, and De La Guarda. And, she, and, I'm, and I'm leaning there. I only give you that visual just because, like, yeah. I looked angry as fuck. You know, I was, like, pale. <laughs> like, even though I was living in a desert that was, you know, 90 degrees in October, I was pale and, like, you know, and just head shaved and, you know, wearing a suit. And I was just mad as fuck that these people were coming to see our show and trying to poach us. And I didn't agree with Second City wanting to get in the management business. I was like, just be the world's greatest sketch comedy theater, you know, and it's like, again, like, they should do what they do, and I do what I do, I don't need to judge them, but I was, but I was mad, and I was, I remember leaning up against this counter, and she goes, uh, and she's just talking about, so, well, you know, we're looking at this, and it's all of us, and we just can't believe someone from Hollywood's here, I'm like, fucking people, and, uh, <laughs> and I remember she had, she had, uh, on her toes, she was wearing, like, you know, uh, she had a di- little diamond, like, like, things on her toes. Like, and I just remember looking down and just being like, oh, who are these people? You know, like. It's and one she, little thing like that. Yeah, you know, just, just, just zone in on it's like you're different than You can make a whole story. Yeah, yeah absolutely. You know, we, we, you know, we eat omelets at 3 a.m. We're those guys, you know. Like, you know you're, we don't fit into your mold, right? And, uh, and she looks at me and she goes, what about you? Would you ever, uh, uh, ever want to audition uh, for Saturday Night Live? And I was like, no, nah, I don't want to be on that show. <laughs> but I said, do it. And she goes, why? I go, I think it makes people unfunny. And she goes, she goes, I happen to represent a couple of people on that show. You remember the first time you saw them? Like when you saw them at, at Groundlings or doing stand-up or wherever you saw them when you signed them? Do you remember like that, that moment that they, that they like, you just like, I have to represent them. I want to help them. Uh, do you remember that moment? She goes, yes. I go, have they ever made you, honestly, have they ever made you laugh as hard uh, on SNL as they did that first night you saw them? And she goes, I go, honestly. She goes, no. I go, that's why I don't want to be on that show. <laughs> and, the, and, the, and really, and the, and and it's impossible for someone to make you laugh as hard on television or in movies as you can when you see them in person. So it's sure. like, I, but I didn't know, you know. But my whole point about it was, was ultimately that show doesn't want me. So fuck that show. <laughs> that girl, that girl, 
doesn't that girl's a bitch because she has no wait she has a crush on me oh she's not that bad she's actually you know like I mean it's <laughs> it's full on envy it was jealousy it was arrogance it was ignorance you were gonna turn them down before they could tell you that you didn't get it yeah yeah shoot myself in the foot yeah I mean I believed it at that at that time it was pure it was uh, and and. I know of what I'm speaking about in regards to my my opinion at that point, but it was, it was, it was ultimately they don't they wouldn't want someone that looks like me or me or like it wasn't that I wasn't good enough. It was just like I no, it was that I wasn't good enough. You know, it, it like and knowing that about myself and I didn't need that show to be something that was impossible for me to ever get to do. I mean that's the, that's the show. <laughs> like I, they're never gonna you want me. You had your you had your. Sort of your security blanket of, yeah. of you, you'd you've had some success and in the smallest way. That's all I want to do is wear the suit, and I got to wear the suit and work at this thing and be on the uh, on the list with all the alumni. I I attained the goal that I wanted, and now I wanted out and want to be a blue man group and want to be anonymous and silent. Like it's the it's the I, I kind of wish you did just you know. I, just to, if we could have two parallel things and we could see that. Yeah, yeah. I wish I had the photo. There's a photo exists of me when I finally did. I got you know auditioned and flown out to to. So you, know, you auditioned Blue for Blue Land Group. Oh yeah, twice. Like twice. You got. I mean, three times actually. Right when I first moved to Chicago and I couldn't do accented triplets, and then and then I auditioned again in in uh, you know a couple of, four years later when in Las Vegas. And I mean, I practiced all the time. Had drum pads, had mallets, new pieces from the show that dudes had taught me, and I drummed all the time. And you still didn't get it. Still didn't get it. Well, I didn't have the right face for it. Those guys are look like superheroes. When I when I put on the blue makeup and I saw myself in a mirror, I just looked like a fucking like uh, peanut M and M, like a big blue <laughs> peanut M and M. It was just like, oh no, I shouldn't do this. And then I kind of choked on the audition because I because I'm not, I can drum, but I'm not a drummer and. Uh, I just sort of lost my way, like, you know, and I was like, oh, it didn't work. And then I just got the feedback. Was, oh, if he kept working on his drum, he would be a blue man. But then I came back home. Then 9-11 happened. Back home to Las Vegas, 9-11 happened. Everybody, you know, every, focus all changed. The show got oddly better because we cut down the cast, and I re fell in love with Second City uh, specifically and, and sketch comedy. And then my manager, the, the fellow that, that, that I, I work with still now, Jeff uh, from Brillstein, uh, Brillstein and Gray, who, you know, w produced Mr. Show, you know, my favorite sketch comedy show of all time, like, like came out to see me and then was like, hey, do you want to audition for SNL? Do you want to send in a tape? I'm like, yeah, yeah, sure, you know, yeah, okay. So you sent in a tape. Sent in a tape, got flown out, like, yeah, yeah, got fl uh, fl flown out to New York, That you know, meaning I got to audition. We, we did it at a stand-up place, stand-up New York, uh, on the Upper West Side, and I... Uh, you know, didn't know what I really what I was doing. Never done stand up. I, well, I, yeah, that's the question. Like yeah. when you're in when you're in Second City, you're yeah. always in a yeah ensemble. There's always someone else, which there. is weird because for an audition for Saturday Night Live, it seems like they'd want to see you in an ensemble, but you have to go do like a singular thing. Yeah. So what did you pick to do? Do you remember? Yeah. Well, I I did three original characters and then like seven impressions. And the original characters, the one. Knowing what I know now, because you know you sort of uh, getting to work there, you, I, I got to sort of ask later. I, I did this thing, uh, this scene that I wrote at, at Second City called Senator. That's good. That's what I called it. Uh, and it was one guy, uh, and the other four cast members would play like you know uh, uh, reporters. But it was a guy giving a uh, a, a speech, and in the speech uh, he um, um, 
references uh, something that would seem derogatory towards uh, black people. And so then a bell would ring, and then I would go into a new speech where I'm apologizing for offending black people. During that, I would then offend gay people. Dang, then I would, you know, apologize to the, uh, <laughs> to the gay people, uh, offend uh, Jews. Ding, and now I'm offending women. And it was just like, and it was all based on Rick Santorum having to apologize for comparing homosexuality to bestiality. Because I was like, it, it, I just... People that are forced to apologize just defeats the purpose of the apology. <laughs> like, like sure. you owe me an apology. It's like, you really want that apology? Because I'll give it to you, but I don't mean it. But, like, if you want it, you know. And it just I just thought it was so hypocritical. And he clearly believes what he believes, but he had to say otherwise. And so that's what it was. It was based on that. And it could work as a single standalone piece. But it, it wasn't skewering Democrats or Republicans. Just, you know, knowing what I know now, like, uh, I was just writing it to write it, you know, just because it seemed fun. It seemed like a David Ives play with the bell dinging and just, like, it had, like, a rhythm to it. And uh, and I got to play, like, a, a, you know, a blowhard, <laughs> you know, and I was like, it felt, felt right. And I think that, that was the first thing I opened up with in the audition. Uh, and I think that's pretty much what got me hired. Because I never handed in a writing packet or anything. They just, I think they really liked the writing of that. That's interesting yeah. because I was going to ask, you know, how does someone who came up in improvisation mm-hmm. end up being hired as a writer? You know? uh, with with an enormous amount of imposter syndrome, uh, <laughs> like uh, you 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 have someone as 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 kind and as uh, uh, charming and as talented as Tina Fey tell you if you can improvise, you can write. You have someone that's walked the exact same path, uh, you know, years before you, and with leaving much deeper footprints uh, that you can, uh, you know, she 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 instructed me in a way that allowed me to believe it. Well, it was, I, really, it was really it was it was very very kind of her, and and then her other piece of advice was don't write anything uh, for someone that you can do yourself because it'll drive you crazy, uh, and uh, and she was right. So uh, you went in to to get hired as a performer. Like, I mean, it I didn't, it, for it, the did it even cross your mind that like, well, maybe I'll get hired as a writer? No, because I wasn't. I mean, I wrote for myself, you know, like, uh, but I didn't. I hadn't ha- handed in a packet or anything like that. It, no, it wasn't. It wasn't. Uh, it, it wasn't till it was a possibility that. And then it was like, do I say yes? And I'd had people from Second City that had said had been offered the same thing and had said no. Uh, but it was a real chance to be. I mean, you know, to work with Tina, you know, sure. to like to like work with Horatio Sands and Rachel Dratch, people that were heroes of mine. Uh, and now to get to be, you know, on the same floor as them was like an insane opportunity. And it was it's it's the difference between, you know, process and product related art, you know, art commerce, you know, like the like that that struggle. Here you had to commodify your art and figure out a way to get real estate on that show. Sure. And and uh, and I was just, you know, I, I was like, yeah, it, said, it sounded hard as hell, and I wanted to prove, you know, I mean, how the hell did, you know, I'm not Orson Welles, but how the hell did he know he was going to do Citizen Kane? You know, he hadn't directed anything. Right. It's like, I hadn't written anything for other people, and so I tried, and I got really lucky the first two weeks. I wrote a, a thing for Horatio and Jack Black that got on uh, the first week, and the second week uh, was Timberlake, Justin Timberlake's first time hosting, and I wrote, uh, co-wrote a punk a sketch where he got to play Ashton Kutcher, which was one of the impressions that I did uh, on the show, and Justin just, I mean, crushed it. I wrote, got two things on right away, and then nothing for like 13 weeks, 
And then uh, Christina Aguilera was hosting, and I was mad at that point about, you know, the same ire about, you know, I was like, why am I doing this? Like, I was watching the read-throughs and being and I, that, that anger that Tina was so cautious uh, and helpful to, like, don't write anything for someone, and I did. I wrote a Dr. Phil sketch, and I used to do this Dr. Phil impression, and I wrote this thing for a guy, and it just didn't, he didn't do it great, and it didn't get picked, and I thought it was such a funny thing, and Tina was so complimentary about the, the gift that I gave this guy, and then, ah, I was just like so mad. And then I wrote a sketch for Christina Aguilera's show where I just didn't put the host in. I was like, I don't know how to fucking write for Christina Aguilera. I know how to write for Amy Poehler, Will Forte, and Chris Parnell. And so that's who I put in the sketch, and it made it all the way to the show. It got on air, and it was like, it was like this moment where it's like, oh, this show wants you to be whatever you want the show to be. It's like, don't, the writing for the show, aiming for the show, aiming to be on the show will change the way you make your stuff. If you're trying to like fit in, you're never going to be the shape that you really are. You're only going to be the shape that you think you need sure. to be. And that, that goes everything. You know, well, like you change be. first date. If you're not yourself on that first date, you know, like you, you're going to be seventh date, and you certainly are going to be, you know, three years in. Sure. You know what I mean? Sure. <laughs> so, well, that's that's a great point because you know I'm sure it was incredibly freeing to see that process and see that it worked. And, yeah. And oh, I mean, Chris and Amy, Chris and Will were like the, the incredible at the table. Like the commitment, like in, in a way that I mean, obviously, you know, uh, with everything that they've done during and since, like just really, really amazing. And it's not that everybody else wasn't, but they were just my. They just could cold read things with such, you know, verve that that and 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 the best was I write the sketch it gets on it's a personal victory cut to the repeat that's on when I'm in uh, Chicago with my family and they're showing it on TV and the whole family's like oh good the sketch that I wrote is on this show and they watch it nobody laughs and then it's like my family like 30 people this giant went in the went family after you know and it's like it just didn't, I was like I was like oh all right yeah was there a particular moment where you did something in performance and it kind of Took you over the top, and and it was sort of you know, hey, he's got to, we got to put him on camera now. I I would I think so, yeah. Um, at that at this point, it would have been my s- second season uh, writing. Tom Brady was hosting, and me and three other fellas uh, wrote a sketch, uh, a behind the music sketch about the Super Bowl shuffle, the '85 Bears. You know, we are the Bears shuffling crew. Sure. And we want to do a whole thing where he would play the quarterback Jim McMahon, Horatio uh, Sands played Mike Ditka, and uh, we did that whole thing. They had the Super Bowl shuffle. That went great. Obviously, it was a huge hit, and they won a Super Bowl. Then they tried to do, like, the Stay in School shuffle, same song, didn't have the same pop, and then Jim McMahon went solo. And the whole premise was when he went solo, all he had was a, dan- was a dancing guy, was a, was a dancer, and I, and I danced the, the exact same. There's a sketch that we uh, did when I was on the show called What Up With That, where I would do all like this, you know, hip hop dancing for the 90s. You know, I was like the goofy white guy, you know, doing all these dances. Uh, same stuff that I made people laugh as a teenager in AAU basketball. Same thing that I did in What Up With That that people have really enjoyed in that sketch is the exact same thing that I did in that thing behind him. I was like his hype dancer in the background. So like 30 people were sitting here watching rehearsal, and I started making this choice and cracking up. Lauren comes walking in, sort of sees what is everybody laughing at, and it's me doing this like goofy <laughs> dancing behind Tom Brady, who's laughing at like this dancing, all this Running Man stuff, and you know Roger Rabbit and blah blah blah. And uh, then that was a Friday night. Then then that night, and this is what I what I'd heard. 
they were kind of like, well, you can't have a writer playing that. We got to put give that to a cast member, you know, like uh, someone. And it's a valid point, you know, because it was getting laughs. And then so the story goes, like Tina was like, well, who in the cast can we put in that's going to get that laugh? And then it was just kind of like. And we had, you know, the next night, uh, or the, it was Saturday, I, I got a, one of the rare sketches that I actually wrote that got on. Me and my friend Joe Kelly wrote for Tom Brady. That got on. My parents were in, in, in the audience. And then the, the, the Super Bowl shuffle thing came on. And I got my laughs as, as a nobody, you know, because as as you know, I'm in sunglasses and a hat. You can't even tell it's me, even if you knew it was me. Uh, you know, get, got my laughs behind the thing. We had two weeks off. Cut to the last Friday of that two-week break, and Lauren calls me and says, we want to put you in the cast. And I was in the last three shows of that season. Wow. Yeah. Isn't that funny how little moments like that change, make radical direction changes, yes. right? And, and you look back to a few things in your life. I have a few of those moments, too, where it's like, if that thing that was completely out of my control didn't happen, then... Yeah. Maybe that that was the trigger, the, the chain reaction, and, and uh, the combination of... Your basketball dancing days yeah. and Tom Brady and the yeah. fact that Tina happened to be, you know, a champion for you and Lauren walks by and yeah, uh, and a boom, you're on the show. Yeah. Do you remember what it felt like the first time you saw yourself on television in close up? Uh, yeah, I mean, it would have been during th that very next show, the Johnny Knoxville show. I, I had to that week shoot opening titles, you know, to, so they could put me in the you know the credits of of SNL and. And seeing seeing that, but more, you know, uh, no, notably to me, it was hearing Don Pardo, you know, saying Jason Sudeikis, like saying that in in this thing. I I did the show, went home. Uh, um, my wife, uh, my ex-wife now, but my wife was was in L.A. Uh, so I went to the after party. I went to the after after party, and I just was going to come home and and just not uh, not watch the show. Just sort of let that be what it was, and. Uh, and then I was laying in bed. It was probably like you know six in the morning or whatever it was. After I had like two McGriddles, McGriddles or something, and I couldn't sleep for some reason. But I, I laying there and I just popped up and I remember just sort of sitting on uh, the futon that I had and watching, just wanting to watch the opening credits because I've watched those all my life and I know that voice and the song. Even though the song changes, it's like you know it's somewhat similar. And then heard yeah saw saw it saw me like do like the. <laughs> like smile or whatever you, you know we were asked to do, and then yeah, bawled my eyes out. Yeah, did you? Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. I mean that's like that's insane. It's 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 that's that's a crazy thing. Uh, you know that that you know, it 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 doesn't make sense to me. It, I, I I you know, I I don't I don't accept the premise. I, I see myself on posters next to Owen Wilson or you know, Jennifer Aniston or you know, in between you know Charlie and Jason. And I'm just it doesn't. I, it's I don't even know who that. That doesn't even seem real. Doesn't even seem like it's me. Amazing. Yeah, but Amazing. same thing. More, it, most so on that on that show. Even the, the weirdest, weirder than that is going home and, and uh, you know over the Christmas break and uh, like or whenever I last went home after that that first chunk of shows and watching the show in my parents' home, the same home, different different same carpet, different couches, and seeing me on you know sitting in the same place that I used to watch. I know I I didn't. Uh, Appreciate it enough, you know, while while I was doing it for the ten years that I got to do it, or the eight on camera, and, and the two, you know, uh, writing the whole experience, you know, I, you're just being shot out of a rocket week after week. You're you're just stripped of everything, sort of emotionally and and.
creatively that it doesn't even feel like it happened. Like, it, but it must be impossible to appreciate it. Oh, that's happening. I, yeah. Because didn't you just once you're once you're in that uh, petri dish or whatever you want to call it, um, it, you're just living it. I mean, that yeah. show is so intense that Absolutely. there's no time to stop. It's and like an, it's like playing. Yeah. On, it's it's as athletic as anything I'd ever done in athletics. I mean, the show certainly is that is that visceral experience. It's ninety minutes straightforward live. If you if you drop the ball, that's a turnover, and we you know if you miss a cue card, you know you got you got to be present. I, I never got stoned before a show. I never drank before a show. Like like I was like you know you had to be, and you had to be that way week after week. And and again, the the effort that you put into that show does not <laughs> the show owes you nothing. You get no reward based on your effort. Like you could do little and get a ton, or you could do a ton and get little. It's like and that is a very, very difficult thing to uh, rationalize because you sort of, for the first time, a lot of people, you know, that do like this invisible work of, again, I call it invisible because it literally is like improvisation. There's no words that we're not using real props. It's all mime. Like to actually go from that to like this thing where it's all real, you know, it was like a, uh, yeah, it was mindfuck. I had Will Forte on the show and, and he talked about the first time he had to say a line on camera and he was so scared yeah. and in his head he was saying the line over and over again and uh, and you know the pressure of it's live television and this but I wondered if you coming from the improv background uh, if it was still terrifying to you to have to kind of you know, be on live television with no do-over period or, or if you felt like the improv prepared you for that moment. I. I have I, I do feel I, I did at the time felt weirdly prepared for for it, um, but I think I, I mean I have a little bit of a you know I, I don't I mean I dubbed it like a <laughs> for no reason a fighter pilot's mentality where it's kind of like just just get it done or, or maybe like a sniper kind of thing where it's just like we're just hanging out until we're doing it and then you do it you know balls out and then you're done with it. But I I, I mean that audition that I that I was telling you about those you know I didn't I never rehearsed it. I never, I just, it's not, I wrote it down on a piece of paper, like a set list, like 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 I was in a band, like I'd always wish I'd ever, you know, would have been, and I wrote down the, the three characters, and then that, and I set it down on the table, right in front of me, and then I just did it for the first time as a whole thing. I rehearsed the individual pieces, so I knew the words, but never the whole thing. I didn't rehearse a lot, you know, and maybe people, you know, would be like, well, yeah, you can tell that you didn't rehearse a lot, uh, uh, but it was, for me, I, I, I didn't get... I don't think it had anything to do with improvisation. I think it's just the way I felt about that about that show. We had cue cards, so I was never worried about going up on my lines. Um, and I do think what the improvisational background gave me is if shit hit the fan, I would be okay. I would be okay because I've been okay when with having nothing. You know? Right, right. Um, uh, before, you know, in, in the, the at that point, you know, you know, ten years experience that I'd had doing improvisation. Um, but it, but it wasn't. It didn't fuel uh, a, uh, a a confidence. It merely was a nice little thing to to lean on if the worst thing happened. But the crew is so incredible. That shows show is so well run behind the scenes that we rarely had. And I, I don't. I can't think of any specific screw up until my last season. There was one sketch that we missed that the cue card guys uh, missed a whole page of dialogue and. I kind of did it anyway because I, I knew it because I, I helped write the sketch. That's amazing in 10 years that yeah. it wasn't until your last season. Yeah. Now you and, yet I'm, and yet I'm furious at them for it. <laughs> no. 
they were both fired immediately. <laughs> immediately. The guy that ran the marker and the guy that holds the thing. No, it was, uh, it was yeah, it was something else, yeah. Take it for granted. I think we even as viewers take it for granted how amazing. Totally. Yeah. It's like this show. Yeah, exactly, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Comes together in just, in just a few days. No, the key yeah. card guys are great. They're really good. Yeah. You guys are really good. Um, Sorry for making you write so much. <laughs> they're just trying to keep up with you. Good luck. Um, you know, you're surrounded when you go in that environment by the greatest comedic minds of all. And yes. not only that, but this steady parade of the biggest actors and the biggest musicians yeah. every week. Yeah. Did you and use sports that? Stars, and yeah. sports stars. Yeah. Did you use that as an opportunity uh, to sort of, uh, you know, have mentorships, or, or did you, you know, like, did you use that uh, to your advantage in terms of furthering your education? As far as the relationships that were made there, a lot of it was just through, you know, just through observation. When, when people would come back, you have a certain connection with anybody that's been on the show, you know. So like Will Farrell was. You know, um, not too dissimilar from like the Kevin, you know, the Kevin Dorfson, Scott Assets from Second City, or Tina herself. You know, someone that I, I didn't, I don't, I do, uh, like. There's sometimes with mentors you don't want. I don't need to know how the sausage is made, as the saying goes. I, I just want to be, be able to uh, have access to ask, ask for help. You know, and I had that with Tina. You know, what kind of things would you get help on from a guy like Will or? Yeah, from, from Will. Or? From Will, it would be. Dealing with uh, dealing with like the 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 frustration that the show can 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 um, make certain personalities feel. I mean, everybody feels that way. You know, I I don't think you could have, you know, the most popular person in the history of the show ever feel like that show was theirs. They I just don't I just don't the show doesn't allow you to feel it. And it's not Lauren specifically. It's literally just it's it's the show. It's like I think Lauren probably feels that way. We're all chasing this incredible potential that this show has, that it's all burned into our minds being this iconic sure. thing. And we're all mostly just remembering the best of sketches and our favorite people who we didn't know at some point, and then we, they became, you know, our favorite comedians ever. You know, Bill Murray had to apologize that second season, say, I'm not working on the show, and that's what made Bill Murray famous on the show. That's the, so the story goes. You know, he had to, like, I'm not, I'm not working on, uh, you know, I'm not, it's not working out for me. He had to, like, <laughs> it's like crazy. That's Bill Murray, you know? And, yeah. and, and yet the show marches on, even after Chevy leaves and after Bill leaves and after John Belushi passes and after Chris passes. And like, I imagine each cast yeah. is like, how do we do this? Yeah. So you were, you were really close to Will Forte. Yeah. Um, and he he was telling me that your relationship uh, sort of mimics like the, your camaraderie in, in your Twinkle and Stink and, and your John Bovey. He says like that's pretty much who you guys are. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Yeah, on stage. Uh, was it important on that show having somebody close to you, like you know, just in in the sense of um, you know. Someone, I, I assume you guys could let your guard down around each other and, much, and yeah. have an ally. Yeah. Was that, I mean, was that sort of a closer relationship that, that you valued yes. in that time? Yeah, yeah. I would say, yeah, the closest I, I was to Will, um, to Kristen, uh, to Fred, you know, like those are people that, yeah, you would sort of, uh, I, I mean, I would jokingly call it, and it's not really a joke though, uh, SNL therapy. Those are the people you would have the, the closed door conversations with uh, um, that maybe not even have to eventually. You know, early on, were SNL therapy, and then just became flat out just you know, friends. You know, like therapy in general. You know, just where your, you know, personal life things. You know, I, I mean, I got, you know, I 
was married when I started that show, and then was was not when, and then you know engaged to a completely different woman. You know, by the time I ended it, you know, ten in ten years time, uh, and you know, Will and specifically, yeah, was very very uh, kind and sweet, and it's super helpful on that show. And, and it happens with everyone. I don't think anybody goes through that show. Uh, I would hope not uh, alone. You know, uh, it's 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 war. You know, I mean, it's 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 tough, and you bring a lot of your shit to it, not just your talent, but your shit. And it's, sure. it's challenged on a, on a weekly basis. So, yeah, Will's told me that, you know, you are, uh, you know, that you, you guys go out, you do karaoke, mm-hmm. you, uh, you know, you, you've, you've stayed at his place. And, yep. um, and you know, he asked me to uh, ask you why you did what you did to his couch. And yeah. I don't know that story. <laughs> and I, I do. don't know if you're comfortable telling that story. Oh, I don't mind telling it. It's, it's, uh, but tell what happened to his couch. I was flying back from L.A. to New York. I, I, uh, I, in the middle of a separation, a fresh separation. So I was coming back. I'd been staying out here for a month. I didn't know where I was going to go when I got there. I happened to be on the flight with Will Forte, um, who, you know, were good pals. And, and I'd sort of, you know, lamenting that on the uh, – not we get on the plane, we're chatting about it, and I start chatting with him about where I'm at because he didn't necessarily know because I had sort of been going through this stuff by myself. And then, then in, in that, telling him I don't know where I'm going to stay because uh, I didn't want to, you know, if we're going to be separate, we should be separate. Uh, and he's like, well, you can, you know, crash on my couch. I was like, are you serious? He's like, thank you so much. So we, we, uh, we, we, get, we land in New York. Uh, can we go out? Like, go out and have some beers? Uh, I run very quickly while he's getting ready. He lived very close to Union Square. I went to this. They used to have these things called uh, uh, Virgin Megastores. Sure. It's when you could buy film and television and, and music in, in, a, in a building. Uh, <laughs> and anyway, I bought him the first season of Mad Men as a thank you gift for letting me stay with him. It only is, becomes important. In a, in a plastic bag, have it, put it in my, you know, I, I put it in my, uh, my, my bag when I get there because I'm going to give it to him after I, after I leave as a thank you gift. Uh, we go out that night. We go to a place called the Crocodile Lounge, I believe, or at Crocodile Lounge, like on on like uh, 14th Street. It's near um, near NYU. Uh, every beer you buy, you get a li- free little pizza, and we had a lot of beers, and so therefore we had a lot of pizza. So my stomach is full. We go home, uh, we fall asleep on the couch, you know, and and because I, luckily uh, I was, you know, I wore I wore underwear and a t-shirt because I was on his couch and everything. Uh, I remember waking up that next day. Um, you know, probably, you know, like we were out till four, so probably like, you know, noon or so. Uh, Will's an early riser. Will's got a ton of energy and, and works out and eats and like just, and writes and just a lot of, lot of, lot of energy and all, all natural as far as I, as far as I can tell. Uh, (laughs) it comes from within. And he, I'm sitting there, I'm, I'm about to sleep and I got a fart. And so I just, so I, so I, I, I'm like, well, I'll just, I'll fart. And then just, I mean, like just my... (laughs) My under my boxer briefs. I mean, like like a paintball tournament happened in my in my pants, and I was just like, and my, luckily my ass was like up. I wasn't like I was like I was like this, you know. I was sleeping on my stomach or my side, and I was just like, oh no, like I never shit my pants in my life. I'd always thought I had a good governor back there that could you know would keep that sure. from happening. I'm like okay. Now I have no sense of smell. That's that's something that I have no. I I don't know how. I don't know why. There's theories out there, but I believe it was congenital. So I don't know what when I when I reek of pot or tequila or I, I usually have to have officers tell me these things. Uh, <laughs> and and like and shit and farts. All I get is the fun part. You know, just the sound, right? Uh, and I get up. 
I go into his bathroom. This is just a one bedroom, you know, like New York apartment. Uh, and I go into his bathroom. I close the door, boom, his door opens. Oh, 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 Sudsy, you know, like, uh, what do we got going? You know, he's like, like it was a fucking sitcom timing. He probably was just in there waiting to hear me stirring so he didn't wake me up. He's like that sweet of a guy. He's probably been up since nine. I'm in there. Like Jack with, Lemon and Walter Matthau. <laughs> boy, are we, yeah. And so, if, if yeah, Matthau just shit his pants. <laughs> and so, I'm taking on my underwear and I'm, and I'm like, you know, shaking out what's in, in there into the toilet, disposing of that. In, in the, uh, I, <laughs> God, I want to say it was in the shower, like in the bathtub. It might have been the sink, though. And I'm rinsing out my underpants, <laughs> trying to get as much out of this as possible. Like, not that I'm going to wear them, but I just, I, as far as I know, if the, wherever, wherever the pot smoke is, that's where the smell of pot goes like I'm a dummy like that so if you if there's shit as long as you can't see the shit there's no shit smell like that's how a guy that can't smell thinks about things it's all visual so I'm like trying to get rid of it here and there and he's you know in the kitchen walking around and I come out in a, in a bath towel and I was like uh, hey uh, with a t-shirt on about hey do you mind if I use the shower uh, and he, you know, he's like, oh yeah, sure, no problem. Now he's in the kitchen. So I look over there, I see my bag. I know I got the, that plastic bag, uh, cause you know, that, that stops the smell of shit. I, I take out the Mad Men thing. I put the bag, I stuff my underwear in there. I roll it up like a fucking burrito and then stick it in my bag and zip it up. You know, like the outside where like my dirty clothes is. So maybe like the smell, of the plastic will stop it. I've rinsed it off as well as I can. And all the smell of stinky socks will get rid of it. And then, uh, Will's just like, was like, like, whoa, what did you do? I go, oh, yeah, no, all the pizza. I uh, just took it down. He goes, gee, you need Christmas. Now, Will loves, Will can smell, like, he and loves it, revels in, like, he will put his nose in your butt, like, to smell a fart. And so he just, he's just like, ooh, woo, woo. <laughs> you know, it gets so silly. Uh, and he's doing that. Now, he's, our friend John Solomon is on his way over because they're going to go right mm -hmm. uh, while I, you know, get my life in order. And uh, so I, I hop in there. I don't, I take the shower, I come out, and he's just like, and it reeks evidently. I don't know this because it just happened all on his couch. And I, uh, and he's taking out the, the matches and doing that whole thing and lighting them all up. And he's getting ready to leave, or, 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 or sorry, he's waiting for John to show up. And then he just goes, wait, oh. And I thought, oh, no, he knows. Like, he knows I shit my pants uh, in his house when I, he let me stay there. And he goes, I shouldn't have done that. John would have loved to have smelled that, you know, because they're like, they're like, you know, twins ultimately, like, certainly soulmates in, in, a, in, a, in a platonic way. And he was just, the only thing, I thought he was going to be mad that I shit his pants. You know, the only thing he was bummed about that was that he got rid of the smell of the shit that he thought only occurred in his toilet, not on his couch, uh, because he knew his buddy would like it. And that's how nice of a guy he is. Uh, and then cut to like two months later, we're talking about something and, and uh, you know, at the show, and I go, oh my God, dude, I didn't even tell you. <laughs> It's like I shit my pants on your on your couch. He's like, what? And then I told him that story that you know just told you, and he's like, that's hilarious. And I don't even remember what I did with. It. I must have when I left. I hope unless that underwear might still be in that Swiss Army duffel. <laughs> no, it can't be. Can't be right. Someone would have told me. Security would have told me by now. Oh my but god. Yeah, so that was that was it. Luckily, I didn't get didn't get a single drop on the couch. Not not not. But yeah, it was. That's that's an underwear endorsement right there. Oh that's, yeah, yeah, that's some good elastic. Very very good. The, yeah, hell yeah. yeah. It was the uh, the Calvin Klein. Yeah, the Calvin Klein boxer briefs. Yeah. Yeah, no. that's nice. Might have, yeah, very very solid. Yeah, a box is going to show up to your house now. I know. It's a big old bag. Yeah, yeah. shit in these. <laughs> <laughs> On us. <laughs> Thanks. You know, it's been just so great talking to you. I know that. I know that. Uh, 
you know, we've spent some time socially and working together, but to to sort of dig deeper inside your experiences, it's give, really given me not only insight into who you are, but but um, it's inspiring to see the way you live your life. And, and um, you know, I, I think with each one of these conversations I have, I take away things. It's like it's like a great gift I get every yeah. time. And, and uh, uh, you know, it's just been great talking to you and well, I mean, getting to know you better. Come on. I... I, I I 100% agree. <laughs> I mean, in regards to it's reciprocated. Like, well, thank you, for, yeah. thank you for doing it. And, Absolutely. Um, thank you, thank you yeah. for asking. Uh, and thank you for doing it just in general, regardless of me doing it. I think it's a great, great thing that you thank do you. here. Can you say that again a little louder? Yeah. Uh, or you can bring this closer. <laughs>